Welcome to this week's episode of Real Estate Served on the Rocks. On this week's episode, the guys talk about how you can prepare to sell your home in the 2024 market. All while enjoying High West Select Barrel Bourbon Whiskey. Howdy, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Real Estate Served on the Rocks, powered by Living in Colorado, the Mile High Perspective. My name is Charlie Sardelli, and I am here with James Samaros. And we have a special guest today because Oscar got hit with a bug. So uh, welcome back. Bus. What's your name? Uh, howdy, uh, as well. My name is Colin Keenan, um, and I'm a long-time listener, uh, first-time caller. First-time caller? <laughs> I also thought you were about to see that Oscar get hit by a bus. I did think that was happening. <laughs> I was like, I was wow. like oh, boy, we did that not is talk harsh. about this. I, I, I thought a, he was just sick. I already threw a curveball at you with the intro. So. <laughs> yeah, the howdy. I mean, we are drinking High West whiskey. That's but right. That's did right. you wear did you get your boots on? Always. Yeah, okay. Man. All right. Fair enough. There's all reasons. There's all, all right. reasons. Howdy. Uh, guys, like I said, welcome. Uh, welcome back to the show. Uh, on today's episode, what we want to talk about with you guys, especially as we see interest rates coming back down, is you know how to prepare as a seller, yep. things to look out for, different loan types, different loan products, how to deal with them. Um, and as always, while we're talking about these topics, we like to enjoy some bourbon. And this one, this one is is pretty special when it comes to Colorado. It is, yeah. So it's it's High West, which we've had High West on the show previously. We had the Campfire, which is really good. Um, if you guys are bourbon or whiskey connoisseurs, you might recognize Midsummer Night's Dram, which this is done by the same distillery. Fantastic. It is so good. Uh, but this is interesting. So High West in and of itself was opened in 07 in Park City, Utah. And uh, the person, and this is like the true American dream, uh, um, they, uh, they got the idea by visiting a whiskey distillery in Kentucky. And uh, our boy David Perkins and his wife Jane were like, we could do this. And so they did. Uh, Jane's background is in biochemistry, so she was always mixing different things. It's like a Breaking Bad story. Yeah, dude. Uh, <laughs> they basically, so this is, this is what happened, right? So I'm going to read this verbatim. But uh, they were inspired to open their own distillery after seeing the parallels between fermentation and distilling processes in his own work in biochemistry. So basically, he was like, you know what? I could be uh, mixing strands of COVID-19 <laughs> and to intubate viruses, it's very similar to distilling whiskey. So maybe I'll just distill whiskey now. Uh, so they went back to Park City, Utah. They began distilling in 2007, and it was the first legal distillery in Utah since 1870. Nice. Nice. So they are all about, they call them drams, but they are all about unique flavors, unique distilling mm -hmm. processes. This one that we're drinking is a Colorado Select. So yep. it is finished in a sherry cask barrel. And it's a multiple, it, it, there's multiple barrels in this Multiple as well. barrels in this as well. Mm -hmm. It is only available in Colorado. Like if you guys go on the website uh, for High West right now, you cannot buy this. Yep. So. Nice. Kind of cool. I was torn. I'll be honest. <clears throat> first time joiner, long time listener. Uh, I don't know if you heard the, um, the uh, episode we did Dexter. Mm -hmm. Well, they had a Dexter store barrel select today and Ooh. I was this close to picking it up. That's tempting. But then I saw this and I was like, wait a second, this is only available in Colorado, but we'll try high West again. Yeah. So, yeah. I like, I mean, everything I've had from high West, whether it be the campfire, or just the regular hasn't, that hasn't disappointed me. No, we, uh, I was talking to Colin off camera. We went to Ozarks two years ago, right? Mm, yep. Two years ago. And uh, JC brought a Midsummer Night's Dram. And it was supposed to be the, uh, you know, the sophisticated sipper while we're 
sitting on the back porch overlooking the beautiful lake at sunset, you know, diving into life's mysteries. And what ended up happening was you had seven dudes in a cabin just taking it straight from the bottle yeah, for the about brain. two hours before we went out. Still tasted great, but uh, it's delicioso. Yeah, it was um, it was memorable for for, for different well, I mean, reasons. Even so. just just opening this bottle up and pouring it out, I'm very surprised by the sweetness. Just with the combination of multiple barrels, but it makes sense with the sherry cask. Yeah, and there's not I mean there's not really tasting notes, so I'm interested to see what you guys think. But mm-hmm. uh, I will tell you, it's 52, percent so it's called 100. And 10 proof ish. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 105. 105 proof. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Math. 105. Math. Maybe you should have asked me that question. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. What is 52 times two? <laughs> it is uh, 104, actually. <laughs> it's actually 52 and a half. Oh, okay. Right. So, so it then is it's 105. And yeah, if you guys don't remember, um, another reason that we have Colin on the show with us is because he is a uh, loan originator, loan officer with New American Funding out here in Colorado. Jameson and I, uh, try and use him on a lot of our transactions because they do a phenomenal job over there. And Colin has done amazing work for us across the board. Um, but since we're going to talk about some loan options, we wanted to get it straight from the source because we, as always, we want to arm you guys with the best information, right? Well, that we say it all the time, right? Don't take what you see on the internet as gospel. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to bring in somebody that does this day in and day out and has personally helped us on some difficult loans mm-hmm. uh, of all loan types and sizes. I mean, you and I have done FHA, down payment assistance, conventional, VA, yeah, yeah. Uh, pretty much everything. Honestly. We've done it all. Yeah, done so. it. So the only thing we have not done is cash one yet, which it's coming. We'll we'll do there. We've got. Is that where they just times. give you like extra cash once you close <laughs> the loan? Like, yeah. No. Hey, thanks for thanks for being you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. We are working on that one, uh, and we'll let you know when we come yeah. out with it. But if I no, can, we uh, have a cash program. If I can program. motivate my my guy of a year and a half now. Yeah. Coming in at cash, maybe we'll, maybe we'll get something going. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, it's. I mean, it, it, it's true. If you guys have that, what do you call it now? It's uh, changed, right? It was it is uh, called NAFCash. NAFCash, right? I so d- essentially, explain it real quick, just so people understand what we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, I mean, layman's terms. We walk in, we buy the house with cash. We let our use, uh, we let us use, let you use our cash, mm-hmm. uh, and then we do the loan behind the scenes so we can get you in something quick. Um, and help you write a non-contingent offer or a more competitive offer, wh- whatever you want to use it for. But yeah, it's just another thing, to, another tool in the belt. Yeah. So I think it's, and the reason I want to bring that up is because it was something, and we'll talk about this as we go through the episode, but it was something that was super popular mm-hmm. back when we had 78 offers and 150 showings and all cash, so on and so forth. It's similar to a bridge loan, but way more affordable Yeah. as yeah. far as rates go. So something in the tool belt that who knows, we might start seeing pick up as we get into the spring mm-hmm. selling season. So we'll talk about it, but something to clarify, and we'll, we'll come back to that as we go through. So Have you guys stuck your noses in this glass yet? No. <clears throat> it was the note. You should, you should. Your nose is what you're sticking? No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> should definitely do it. It's Dude, it's wild, right? It's I did hot. it when I first. It is hot. It's hot. It's hot. Yeah. I mean, definitely, it, you definitely smell the wine in there, the sherry. I, um, get, a, I get some chocolate. So it's yeah. a cast finish? It's a yeah sherry cask finish. So basically, mm. when they do single barrels, just to rehash, essentially they they mix different ages of barrels, and they t- they taste each barrel and they decide okay this is going to pair well with this this and this. They age that all three of those different barrels into a single barrel, then they take it out and they finish it in what's called a second use barrel. In this case, they use a sherry cask, which mm. would be like a very sweet wine. And they age it for the rest of it there, which is where you also get this really dark color. 
Yeah, well, I was gonna say the color is awesome on it. It's almost ruby. Yeah, in a way. Um, definitely, yeah, I'm getting cherry, definitely I'm getting cherry. Yes, chocolate, cherry like chocolate covered cherries. Mm -hmm. Very little bit of the wood. It's there, but there's very little bit of the wood in there. Man, and as you, you guys, guys if, you're, if you're watching so it, so much more advanced <laughs> than uh, the last time I was on here. Uh, well, no, it, 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 well, I mean, shit. This is what this is. Bourbon number 53. 50, 54. Oh yeah, no, yeah. last episode was fifty-two. Don't forget, we had that one episode in the middle of oh, the, that's right. the filler. That's right. So fifty-four. So fifty-four bourbons in now. <laughs> so it's definitely tastes yeah. the difference. And yeah. Colin, you are a, you are a Jack Daniels man through and through. So yeah, some people call me the connoisseur. Yes. <laughs> some people uh, call me the space cowboy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, lucky number seven. You know? Well, I'd, I'd I'd be interested to like I'm interested to see how you feel about it because, like I've said in the past, I've had friends yeah. that I've been like, "Yo, you got to try this." Yeah. And they'll take a sip of it and be like, "Oh, just start a car." You know, like, I don't know, what do you, what do you yeah. mean you're tasting cherry and all this stuff? And it's like, wait, you don't taste that? Yeah. Like, yeah. It's, it's, it is interesting because, you know, I saw, I read something the other day and it was like, if I have to get a taste for something before I like it, then I don't want to try it. You know? And it's like, why? Yeah. Like, you then unfortunately for whoever said that you'll never date a Latina. <laughs> That's the truth. <laughs> that is the truth. But it, it's, I, I mean, it's interesting with this too, because of that cherry cast, it changes it a lot. Well, I think it's right. funny. So we have, we have two different sides of the spectrum here, right? So you got you and I who've done 54 bourbons mm -hmm. and we've been bourbon connoisseurs because of JC for a while. You got Colin who drinks bourbon, but mm -hmm. again, old number seven is, is the go-to. <laughs> yeah. So it's funny because he's going to have his perception of this, but it would be hilarious. And he had the big bottle. We bring Jack Daniels and give our, <laughs> our you know bring what I mean? back like, for the next episode. Yep. Yeah. What do you taste? Yep. Uh, sweat. <laughs> Re regrets <laughs> don't you dare say anything bad about jack daniels <laughs> all right so i'm gonna go why ahead. does this smell like a bar fight i don't, <laughs> I don't understand well, I'm go yeah, ahead it might take, smell like that. take my first sip of it yeah. i have been swirling it around because i do want to open it up a little bit more but cheers boys okay swirling it around cheers Oh yeah, mm -hmm. you get that wine dry right at the beginning. Yep, like it sits heavy, like it's real dry on the front of the tongue. But hot diggity dog, does it get sweet? Yes. <laughs> yeah, Hello, can, how you feeling? What, I what can you? definitely taste the cast finish. So while I might seem uncultured, and that is because I am, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I've still definitely been around a couple of whiskeys uh, and had a glass of wine at least once. Yes. Um, <clears throat> you can definitely uh, definitely taste the cast finish. I'll, I'll tell you that. Yeah, it's got. I mean, it does have that kind of a port. I mean, I know it's sherry, but the sweetness is at the front. I I get a ton of the chocolate in the back end. Mm -hmm. I get the burn up front. That the grain too. That doughy mm -hmm. grain. Yep. I, and it sucks that we can't. We don't know what the mash bill is on this. Because mm -mm. I almost want to say this. <laughs> this tastes a lot like the. I don't know how you would even fancy. feel the hundred proof. I do well, feel that. Yes. That but fire. What, I, yeah. what I'm saying is it's it's definitely like a lot of the time with the sweeter bourbons, we know that they have a higher mash bill. Sure. Like a higher like percentage. Higher mash corn bill. or something. Like yep. That. Yeah. Um, or that, yeah, the, the sour. sour I don't, no, not I mean, sour I can, mash. Well, but, uh, I can look it up in this handy yeah. the iPad. Um, <laughs> See if you can find it. Yeah. I know it wasn't on there, but it's definitely like, and even on the tongue, I thought it was going to be a lot heavier because of that wine. I did too. But, but it, it's smooth. It's It's light. Yeah. And that burn doesn't, you know, it, a lot of the time you drink the 100 plus proofs 
and that burn engulfs your mouth. Like it's everywhere. But for me, that burn is really just sitting at the top of the tongue. And then as it goes back, you get that, like I said, a little bit of the char, a little bit of the wood. And then, <clears throat> then it goes down to that caramel, that sweetness, almost, almost like a toffee yeah. uh, kind of flavor. So, I mean, I'll give you the, like the standard one. So the high West bourbon, which I would assume because they're single barrels, most of their whiskey has a similar mash bill because mm-hmm. it's a dram. So it tends to be sweeter. So the two-year bourbon from them is 75% corn, 20% rye, and 5% barley. Um, they blend it with a two-year and a six-year and a 13-year. Huh. Sorry, I'm reading, I'm reading the back of the bottle, and I, I want to – I'm going to read it for everybody. So everybody. it says, yeah. you hold in your hands a true whiskey treat, a dram that is both rare and exceptionally delicious – each barrel select whiskey by High West is made by carefully blending select lots of straight whiskey and then finishing them in second-use barrels. Mm-hmm. The outcome is a one-of-a-kind batch that exhibits incredible balance, complexity, and depth of flavor. Whether sipped neat or stirred into a cocktail, this whiskey is a thrilling experience sure to delight any whiskey lover. And I think out of the last hundred proofs that we hundred plus <clears throat> proofs that we've had, I would say that this one has. Uh, the most complexity, like the evolution of flavor. Well, it hasn't even been opened. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's been opened, okay? I'm well, saying <laughs> we haven't left it open to breathe mm-hmm. because and, I and feel like always, that's that's something that's going to change. We have JC's glass yeah. there sitting, you know, and, and we always leave that there as a, as a control. And I think this one, like, by the end of the episode, I'm, I'm betting Sweeter. that this is going to be a dessert bourbon. Like, yep. You're going to want to have this after dinner with... With a, with an ice cream, yep. you know, or something like that. Or, oh man, I'm sorry. I, I, it's a good cream. bourbon, but if you if you put this in like a, a milkshake, yeah, that yeah. would be yeah. that would be delightful. Yeah, I always <laughs> say these ones. The flavor is so like intense um, that typically I can have one or two, mm-hmm. and before I'm like, oh God, I need to sit down. Like, yeah, my mouth just uh, went on a on a ride to flavor town. Yeah. And I think that's, that's, that's the, uh, yeah. <laughs> like that. we should have Guy Fieri on here. <laughs> what up guy? Uh, that's the, the uniqueness of this, right? Because I look at it and I go, okay, what, what if I put this in a highball glass with a nice cube mm-hmm. and let it, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, maybe it's the 53 other bourbons talking, but it, I don't want, I, I don't want, no, to, I know. I know. Like, I don't want, but I'm saying <laughs> to Colin's point where it's like, holy cow, like that was a lot. Mm-hmm. If it, almost tones it down like the sweetness down a little yeah, bit Yeah, i can see that is yeah. what i'm saying absolutely right. but yes i agree i mean it's it's phenomenal on the on the, on the first try yeah I'm, I'm digging it i'm digging it let's see how it opens up um but guys let's go ahead and get into the topic for today and like we said we want to talk about you know as we see interest rates dropping <laughs> and we see more people coming to the market with mortgage applications and, and taking advantage of these interest rates this this spring um is going to move what we think into you know, more of a more of a standard market where it comes, mm-hmm. and most standard markets are sellers' markets, right? Um, so the first thing that we want to cover, and Colin, can you can you kind of go over a little bit what you're seeing, even in the last month, when it comes to mortgage applications and the different products people em- are embracing? Yeah, for sure. So it's so interesting because you have to take like a massive bird's eye view, but I'm personally having more conversations with people right now, and I think a lot of that's coming out of the holidays. Um, getting out of December where people are kind of burying their heads down. Mm -hmm. Um, But as of like this last week or two, 
I'm having more people reach out to me. I'm having more conversations um, because we're heading into the spring season where we're going to start seeing stuff ramp up entirely. Um, and a lot of it's too, is we're seeing rates slowly start to come down. Um, we hit some all time highs, uh, over the winter months, um, November, December, and we've kind of walked down that hill. So the bird's eye view portion of it is if you take it from a national level, uh, applications are down right now. And I think a lot of that is some outside factors that are going on in the market, but, uh, I think more conversations are being had while maybe applications are down. You're seeing a lot more people maybe get prepared. Uh, yeah, yeah. Just want to yeah. like talk about it. Hey, what are my options? What does this look like? Um, I know I talk to people about it daily. Uh, and you know, it, all of it is just answering questions and helping you kind of understand what to expect down the road mm -hmm. to make you as comfortable as possible that when you do decide, Hey, let's get this started. You have, you know, a lot of the preliminary stuff out mm -hmm. of the way. So, so I'll, I'll go for it. No, I just I have, I have a question just from a clarity standpoint because we talk about all, all the time on this podcast that there are headlines and then there are the actualities of what's happening, mm -hmm. right? And one of the biggest things headline-wise that we've seen over the last month is the Fed coming out and saying, hey, we're going to drop the rate four, four times, okay? Mm -hmm. And immediately I've talked to people that have been like, okay, well, then I'm going to wait until the rate drops these four times because then the rates are going to be lower. Why is that not really the case? Um, well, I mean, so just that news is what made the rates drop. Right. So the, there's two things that are happening. You have the fed fund rate, which covers the national, um, fed rate. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that applies to a lot of credit cards. Um, it applies to auto loans, different stuff like that. Uh, and what typically happens is in the, um, home buying side, all of those rates are run off of. Uh, mortgage rates are run off basically like an investor market mm -hmm. uh, where they're trying and buying and selling based off of different needle movers that are happening in the market, different people that are coming out and saying stuff. Um, and so the fact that the Fed came out and said, hey, they're going to start rate dropping, they said that because a few things are happening. Inflation's coming down. Uh, we wrote out that inflation all-time high. Uh, and people are starting to unfortunately see the external pressures of what that high inflation has finally started to cause and what all the rising costs are now finally starting to kind of take fold. And the unfortunate part is that there's some painful things that happen outside of the mm -hmm. market. Um, but just that news now makes interest rates drop. And then once rates do actually start to get cut, that's basically what's going to happen there is they're standing behind the word of like, okay, now we're actually doing it. Right. It's one thing to say it. Now we're doing it. That's going to make it drop even more. And what that's going to do is that's going to flood a bunch of people back into the market going, hey, it's getting cheaper. Okay, cool. Now's the time. Um, the kicker that you don't want to happen is you jump back into a situation, and I don't think it will necessarily be this, but you jump back into a situation where in 2020, 2021, every, you have this influx of all these people coming into the market, and then it just starts to create this bidding war where mm -hmm. people are like, got to have it. And we're willing to do more than the next person to get it. Uh, and then the affordability, while your monthly payment is continuing to come down, your out-of-pocket starting to go up. So you don't want to necessarily wait and walk this tightrope of trying to time the market because uh, what you'll save in a monthly payment, you're going to spend out-of-pocket. Sure. And, yeah, and, it's not going to be fun. Wow, Colin, it's almost like I paid you for the segue. <laughs> so and as we see, you know, these, these interest rates come down and, and more options, more coming out-of-pocket, as a seller – 
what do you think is going to be the most common loan that sellers are going to see that their buyers are going to bring to the table? Um, your standard conventional loans, Freddie Fannie, uh, FHA, VA, a lot of just your typical buyers coming in, doing stuff. You, you, when stuff gets hard, you also start to see um, investors back out. So as stuff starts to kind of loosen up, you'll probably see some investors jump back in the market too. Because when money gets cheaper, it gets cheaper for everybody. Mm -hmm. And once it's cheaper for everybody, everybody wants their piece. So you'll see probably really just everything across the board start to go up because <clears throat> money's going to go, like it's going to get more affordable to loan or lend on money. So, so. you know, and, and one thing on that, right, you said that, you know, your money's going to, everybody's worried about how far their money's going to go. Mm -hmm. So there's, you know, down payment assistance that so many people are using right now. Mm -hmm. Can you, can you kind of go into how that affects the seller and, and how the seller should, I think the seller should be mindful as these people are trying to save more on the front end with down payments and, and trying to save more in their pocket. What are some things that they should prepare for if they're seeing these lower down payments come out? You're saying like the sellers, what are they? Yeah, yeah cause I think there's there's the stigma, right? That we've seen and you've, you and I have seen it on, yeah. on different ones we've done where if I come to a, a listing with a buyer mm -hmm. and they go, okay, well, you know, what kind of, uh, what kind of offer is going to be put on the table? And let's say we offer at list and I'm either asking for concessions or I have somebody that's using in Colorado Chaffa. So down to mm -hmm. down payment assistance. Right. And one of the first things that I do is I will have Colin or whatever lender that I'm, I'm working with call the listing agent and explain what the offer looks like. And one of the biggest things that we've seen is there's an immediate kind of like you when it comes to down payment assistance. So as a seller, I guess I have two questions. One, does down payment assistance really impact the ability of a buyer to purchase a home that the seller should be worried about? And number two, if it is like an FHA loan, what's the difference between FHA and FHA and conventional from a buyer standpoint? And as a seller, why why does it does it even matter? Um, so from a buy side, I mean, your down payment assistance is going to be written to any other guideline that a standard loan's written to. So you're not having a massive difference between whether a uh, standard conventional loan versus a DPA, mm -hmm. down payment assistance uh, conventional loan comes across. I think there's some stigma when you come to conventional versus FHA and VA, some government back loans is because uh, the government back loans, they want to make sure that the house is good. So mm -hmm. they're protecting their buyers and their people that come sure. get into it. Let's be real. They're protecting their money. Yeah. They're protecting <laughs> their money for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, mm -hmm. But they're making sure that you don't walk into a house that's like, Hey, listen, maybe somebody had to go into an FHA loan because their credit was down or they had different things going on or <clears throat> different circumstances where maybe they could qualify for more on mm -hmm. an FHA because rates were cheaper or sure. the ratios were higher um, as far as debt to income limits go. And basically what they're doing from that point is like, hey, listen, we're letting these people go all in based off the circumstances. So we're going to make sure that if these people are going to be, you know, pushing their limits, we're going to make sure that they're not going to walk into a project. Um, so sellers will sometimes and selling agents will sometimes look at some of those loans and go, oh, well, that's not as fun as a cash mm -hmm. or as fun as a uh, conventional. But the problem is there's stigma with that, too. I mean. There's more cash deals that drop out than any other loan. Or, so, uh, well, and would you, yeah. would, so. you, would you say that, like, you know, because obviously the times right now are 
it feels uh, our GDP is going up and all, the numbers for the economy look good, mm -hmm. but it feels like there's a disconnect between public sentiment and how they're feeling versus those numbers. So when it comes, would you say that you're seeing more down payment assistance programs written than, than let's say even, even five years ago? Yeah, I think it's all relative because I think it's so weird. If I had just this massive sample size to go off of and I start looking at the national numbers, those will probably paint a better picture. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, I feel like every time I'm talking to somebody, I'm talking to somebody from all different walks of life. I'm talking to somebody who's coming, going into the retirement years where they have a bunch of money set aside. Maybe they have a ton of equity uh, in their existing house that they're getting rid of. Um, I talk to first-time home buyers, and when they start their journey, so I don't know if I'm necessarily seeing a ton of extra down payment assistance. I'm seeing a lot more people wanting to talk about it because maybe they didn't know what it was. Mm -hmm. And I think through doing this stuff, what we're doing, we're yeah. educating a ton of people <clears throat> and showing them what the possibility is. So I think we're seeing an influx in that just because we're getting the kind of information out. Um, I mean, I told somebody the other day, like, "Hey, you know, you can buy a house for a thousand bucks," and they're like, "What?" Yeah. And yeah, I mean, the rules for Chaffa is you only have to have a thousand dollars of your own deal. We ask for seller concessions. We do whatever else. Um, but yeah, I mean, you literally can buy a massive purchase for a thousand dollars. Um, and, and sometimes even $500, mm -hmm. uh, depending on the loan program. So I think a lot of it, maybe we're seeing a bigger influx of that because of the educational piece of we're teaching these people mm -hmm. of, Hey, what's going on? This is what you need to look for and whatnot. And people are starting to listen. Um, but yeah, I, I, I tell you that from a national standpoint, I'd say it's probably relative. Yeah. I think that it's a good point that, that Colin brings up. So we talked, I think it was two episodes ago about the boomer versus gen X versus millennial mm -hmm. war that's happening right in the housing yep. market. And I think that, mm -hmm. you know, over the last call it five to seven years, you're seeing more millennials enter the housing market as first time home buyers. Well, if you talk to baby boomers, older gen X's, the, the mantra was you need 20% down to yep. buy a house. Shout out Dave Ramsey. Thank you for that. Um, and right now what we're seeing is if my parents and I grew up and my parents were telling me you need 20% down, you need 20% down. We bought our house for 20% down back in 1985, whatever. I'm automatically assuming I need 20% down, mm. <clears throat> but it's shifted, right? So I, and, and now you're just getting a lot more people to Colin's point exploring down payment assistance programs where you can buy a house for a thousand dollars, leverage mm -hmm. that money. I guess the question is if I'm a seller, right. And I'm listing my house and I've got two offers on the table and I've got a conventional offer, 5% down, let's say at list plain Jane vanilla, no mm -hmm. big deal. And I've got another offer from a first time home buyer, 5% down, but it's being covered by or three and a half percent down, but it's being covered by Chaffa. Same thing, right? Is there any reason that I would choose one over the other? Like if I'm looking at it, like I want to close this house and get to the finish line? To me, no. Okay. I mean. But why? Because. Uh, like are the guidelines the same? The underwriting's the same? Like what What makes a, yeah. a chaffle loan different than a conventional if the down payment, let's say, is equal? I mean, if we're talking, you know, a conventional versus conventional, an F&J versus an F&J, no matter what the percentages are, DPA versus a standard loan, I mean, they're being written to the same guidelines. The only thing that's going to be on the DPA side is maybe they're getting some breaks because they're a first-time home buyer. Maybe they're getting a discount on their mortgage insurance. Maybe they're getting a discount on their interest rate. Um, maybe they're doing stuff that kind of will let them stretch it a little bit further. But 
guidelines are guidelines. We all write them to the same people. Some of us are direct lenders that go straight to Fannie Freddie. Some other lenders have overlays on top of their guidelines. I'm a direct lender, so I'd write straight to whatever the guidelines are that are provided to us. Um, but there's, yeah, there's no massive difference. Nothing that would ever say, oh, well, I'm not going to choose this offer over Right. There. There's not a, I guess the, the point is, and I, I'm looking at this again from a psychology standpoint, if oh, I'm a yeah. first time home buyer, right, and I'm purchasing a resale home owned by somebody that's in their 50s, let's mm-hmm. say, right? Baby, we'll go back to the baby boomers conversation. Well, those people have their most recent memory of a housing crisis was 08 and 07 and 09. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. I don't know go. why I did that out of order. 07, 09. <laughs> and their their thought is poor lending standards and poor loan qualities yeah. led to a massive decline in basically a crash right in the housing mm-hmm. market. So I think, and this is just my opinion, if you're somebody in that age range that has this opinion, please let us know. I think they look at it and they go, oh, the underwriting standards are less for somebody that has to use down payment assistance. Therefore, I have a better chance of closing a loan if it's conventional. So I'm going to choose the conventional, right? But in reality, if I'm a seller and I'm the listing agent, I want to advertise to other buyers that there are programs like down payment assistance that you can use to purchase this house that I'm putting on the market because my job as a listing agent and the goal of the seller is to make as much money as possible. The only way to do that is to get as many eyeballs on the property as possible, expand the buyer pool as much as possible. So actively advertising things like down payment assistance to educate buyers to me would drive more people to those houses. And what you just said, the lending guidelines now versus 08 are night and day. They're not going to let it happen again. So if I, if I'm looking at an FHA chaff alone with down payment assistance, it to me as a seller doesn't make any any difference, right? It's going to close. It's it's not like, let's say for example, I bring a chaff alone and you go, yeah. So, you know, Mr. And Mrs. Seller, we have a chaff alone. It's a down payment assistance. It does take 60 days to close versus 30 days for a conventional. It's all the same and it runs through the same guidelines. Mm-hmm. Is that what I'm understanding? Yeah. Right. And I think, uh, you know, we're having an affordability thing happen right now. Yes. Um, but even with that, I mean, you have all the people that are talking, oh, well, we're waiting for the next housing crash. We're waiting for the next housing crash. I mean, we just came out of last year and house prices went up we still saw appreciation. Mm-hmm. So we went through one of the tougher years that we've had in a One while. day that, that argument will die. I don't yeah. know when it's going to be. It's recently biasy. Day, and it's, it's crazy that you're yeah. saying 15 years ago, whatever it is, 16 yeah. years ago, uh, when all this stuff happened. But it's still recent enough that it was so bad when it did happen. People are still going to be spooked f- by mm-hmm. that for a long time. Sure. Um so, I mean, I get it, and I totally understand that. But that's why we uh, try to do the best of our abilities and do our job to make sure that we're not doing that. Now, you still might have some lenders that maybe overlook some things or mm-hmm. oversight some things because they're going so fast or whatever the case is. And we're all still human. Situations happen, whatever. But my from my personal brand, I mean, I want to deal with as little problems as humanly possible. Sure. I want to protect my people, A, and then B, I want to protect myself of not having to go through constant pain mm-hmm. of, uh, oh, hey, we just ran into a brick wall. Well, why? Well, we maybe didn't see this. So that's why, like, <clears throat> personally, and again, personal brand, I'm going to make sure I vet this as much as humanly possible so they don't have to deal with it down the future, and we can make sure we get the deal done as smoothly as yep. possible, and then I 
personally, selfishly, don't have to walk into a brick wall that I caused myself, or maybe I could have spent an extra 10 minutes looking through um, some different documentation mm-hmm. that I got. So I will, uh, I'll send my stuff to underwriting as well to get pre-underwritten and all that stuff to make sure we're protecting our people. So when we talk, is it harder to get through uh, one loan versus another? I mean, no, it's it maybe based on a lender, uh, but not based on a program. So let me ask you this then. And I think this is a point of contention right now from a real estate standpoint. And Charlie, you can back me up on this. I have seen so many people sit there and say, this year is going to be this influx of buyers. And we've talked about like percentage wise, right? For every percent that interest rates go down, you unlock about 5 million buyers, mm-hmm. right? I think, and I, I changed my tune on this two weeks ago mm-hmm. when we did this, this conversation. Uh, I don't personally think we're going to see an avalanche of buyers in the market. Because if you look at the rate projections, we still, most people agree that we're going to be in the sixes at least through the end of this year, right? Mm-hmm. Point in case, maybe last year, <laughs> I think we will. Yeah, maybe potentially. 5.8. Of my, I, to combat that, the only reason I see that is because if we do get all these, uh, they actually start doing some rate reductions and whatever. I think the problem is none of us have a crystal ball. Uh, and boy, if we did, I tell you what, we wouldn't be here. We'd no, be uh, no, we would not. making no. so much money on shout out FanDuel. Um, yep. we'd be, we'd <laughs> Parlays be, for days. We'd be cleaning <laughs> your clock. Uh, but we don't. Um, so I personally think that there could be a drop, but it's not going to happen tomorrow. I think we're going to have to see what happens. We're going to see these rate cuts. We're going to see how inflation does. If it doesn't move fast enough, because they're going to have a, they're going to want to have a soft landing. And if we've learned about anything over the government, they like to overcorrect. They like to overdo things. Uh, so we, we could even get to a point where they start to buy mortgage bonds again. Mm-hmm. And then if that happens, I mean, rates yeah, are going to. I, I don't either. But the problem is we had to study history. And history Correct. is we yeah. go way too far one yes. direction and yeah, then we, we go are, way too we far the other them. direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think this year wasn't terrible as far as like. I mean, we survived. It was not fun. It hurt. But Well, no. I mean, if you want to look at it, so we, we ended the year at under 4 million transactions, right? Yeah. For, for houses, buying and selling. And people go, well, 4 million transactions. That's and that's across the country. That's across the country. Yeah, that's across the country. Here's the thing. In 2000, I think I brought this up, but we'll bring it up because Colin's here. In 2008, 2009, we had more transactions as far as home sales mm-hmm. in 08 and 09, in the middle of the worst housing market crisis we've ever seen than we did in 2023. Mm-hmm. More transactions in 09 and 08, or 08 and 09 than 2023. Yep. Why is that? Colin talked about it, outside factors, so on and so forth. Here's why I don't think there's going to be a crush of buyers this year, and which is why we're talking from a selling standpoint, like what can you do to kind of maximize if you're going to put your house on the market is because let's say interest rates do come down. We're at what, six, six, eight-ish, yeah, right? Yeah, six is high sevens depending on the buyer. Yeah, yeah, high six is low or sevens. sorry, high sevens. High six is Definitely low sevens, right? High sevens, yeah. So let's say we go down to like 6.1%, 6.2 by the end of the year. All that's going to do is, yes, your mortgage payment just got cheaper, but home prices rose. And we just saw it this last week. Even though rates stayed the same, mortgage applications dropped almost 12%, right? 
right? Mm-hmm. There's going to be a give or take. And I think people are discounting the fact that yes, while rates are going to come down and yes, that will technically unlock again, every percent unlocks 5 million buyers to buy a house. Okay. But mm. I think you and I talked about this on the phone the yeah. other day. Here's what my, my issue is. When you go, get, when you, your clients go get approved for a loan, right? Mm-hmm. They have their maximum DTI, their debt to income. What is the debt to income consist of? Like what debt do they take into account? I mean, car, car loans. Okay. You know, every, everything from car loans, from uh, even just something small like you did, um, any kind of liens against your property for construction mm-hmm. that you have out. Anything that is on your credit report. So any vari- credit variable report. credit on your credit mm-hmm. report, right, mm-hmm. is what your debt to income. Mm-hmm. So they say, okay, yeah, credit card, student loan, car loan, uh, and then private loans, personal loans. Mm-hmm. They're really the four big ones, right? Big ones, yeah. Okay. Not medical bills anymore. Uh, they will show up. They don't ding your credit. Right. Like, what about student loans? Um, those are still relevant. Okay. So student loan, mm-hmm. car loan, credit card debt, and personal loan. Those are the four big ones, right? Mm-hmm. And then your income consists of what? Your hourly. <laughs> your income. Your, yeah, how right. You <laughs> but your net income or your gross income? Mm. so i'm gonna answer this question but i'm gonna admit i swap these two in my head every time so your income before before tax or after tax before taxes we take your income okay so when you get pre-approved you get your before tax income yep okay so now you say okay well my debt to income qualifies me for xyz amount right well, if I'm taking before tax, I still got to pay taxes, right? And if I'm an hourly or a salary employee, those taxes come out no matter what. We've all been salaried employees. My $2,700 paycheck every two weeks is not actually $2,700. What else don't they account for? When uh, they approve yeah, you? you're talking any external bills, phone bills, car insurance, food, uh, utilities. Gas, utilities. Let's just let's just take some the obvious ones, right? Some, some of the some people will report those things to help try and build their credit, mm-hmm. um, which I don't think is a bad idea. I think no, it's agreed. great. Um, anything to help, but yeah, I mean, when you're t- talking about stuff that's not on your credit, like that's stuff that we don't look into. Now, granted, that is why we write it to, uh, most loans to fifty percent back end, right? So fifty percent of your income handles the stuff that reports on your credit and your mortgage so the hope would be that you don't have an overwhelmingly pass that now situations are situational um and some people have a ton of stuff going on past that but i mean well, a lot of that it, right? too is like let's say your home your phone bill is 300 a month yeah let's say your utilities between gas electric is 250 i mean my my natural gas bill last month went up to 175 a month mm-hmm. that doesn't get reported if i'm applying for a loan on a house Let's say your other utilities, let's say you pay $180 a month for Comcast and, in, and in, internet, right? Like there's all the, and then let's say you're just a person that likes to go out to eat. You don't like mm-hmm. to cook. So the point is like, yes, it, every percentage unlocks 5 million buy, buyers from a debt to income standpoint. But if you now take into account of inflation and rising costs on different things, I think that's why going from 6.8 to 6.2% isn't going to be this crush of buyers. Oh. So I'll, I'll meet you. I'll meet you in the middle ground on that. I think, I think what what we're going to see is a crush of inquiries and people finding out information Correct. about what they can do. Yes, but we may not see many loans come to fruition. Exactly. So yeah. from a seller standpoint, I think that's what a lot of sellers are waiting for. 
So my contention is be prepared to do certain things to make your house more marketable. Mm -hmm. The reason I bring this up is because if we take, we, we figure out the DPA, the down payment assistance does not affect the seller. It's going to close regardless, mm -hmm. right? doesn't matter. But now let's go FHA versus conventional. If I want as many buyers eyes on my home as possible, I want to make sure that I'm available for FHA buyers. Mm -hmm. So as a seller, what are some things that an FHA appraisal or an FHA loan can trip up if I'm trying to sell my house to that kind of, that kind of purchaser can like stop the deal. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean a home that's in bad shape, you know, like so what are things that like, cause again, if you do a conventional loan, there's an appraisal that goes out, correct? Yeah. And technically, so I'm going to say this and then I'm going to backtrack a little okay. bit. So I say a home that's in good shape. I mean, if a FHA appraiser comes out, sometimes they can be a little bit more critiqueful, uh, not saying that a conventional won't, because I've seen things happen mm -hmm. both ways. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're talking peeling paint on a house. Uh, the house is older. It hasn't had a paint job in a long cracked time. Cracked up driveway. Yeah, cracked up driveway. Mm -hmm. The peeling paint, however, now your home is susceptible to water, right? Mm -hmm. Which, again, the government-backed loans, the whole thing is protecting their buyer for these costs that mm -hmm. we already, you know, we pushed them as much as they wanted to be pushed. Um, and that's the whole thing that will be in as far as protecting cracked driveway stuff. That's, I mean, man, uh, this was a weird one. And I don't know if I've ever seen this, uh, on an appraisal before, but we had one up in Greeley, uh, where the house, uh, the appraisal came back as there was rubbish in the, uh, crawl space. Never seen that one before. Mm -hmm. um, but there, it was an FHA loan, and they were just kind of being nitpicky. I think that's the stigma that can sometimes come around sure. through listings. Uh, they don't want to have to deal with a, uh, an FHA appraiser. My opinion is you want to try to make your house as yeah. marketable as possible. And that's exactly regardless. what I was about to say. Is like All that being said to what, you know, to Jameson's point of FHA versus conventional, like at the end of the day, you have to position yourself because it, unfortunately what happened in 2020 to 2022 where rates were low, we had people coming in and just throwing cash offers at houses because they want to get in. Mm -hmm. Now it's not going to be that simple. And, and what I mean by that is as a seller, prepare yourself, like get somebody who, you know, get an agent who is experienced that has gone through, get a talk with a lender who has gone through a bunch of appraisals and really go, Hey, can you give me a checklist of five to 10 things that I should check before I list my home to make it the most marketable? So here's, I'm going to take this step further, right? And this is why I brought this up. So first question, Colin, if I'm a buyer, right? And mm -hmm. I can qualify for FHA and conventional, why would I choose an FHA loan over a conventional loan? Uh, you can get cheaper rates depending on the circumstance. You okay. can get cheaper mortgage insurance because it's a set amount versus based off of external factors. Um, you can, uh, maybe stretch your debt to income ratio a little further if you decided you needed to or wanted to, right. and you feel like you can do such things. Um, yeah, there's a, definitely some benefits of going FHA and I'd tell you to, to take it a step further right now is not a horrible idea to do so because the other thing with FHA is you have lifetime mortgage insurance. <clears throat> Which means for the life of the loan, you're going to have mortgage insurance forever. Yep. On a conventional loan, um, if you put 20% down or eventually you get to that 20% um, 
loan to value or 80 percent loan to value or sorry 20 percent um, equity 20 percent equity yeah. thank you uh then it'll fall off with an fha it'll stay on there forever with that being said we're still dealing with high interest rates right now mm-hmm. that we i mean we just discussed there's going to be opportunities where they come down i don't have a crystal ball covid can come back other black swan events, something could happen. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, whatever it is. So something insane could happen. But our forecast is rates will go down, and you can refinance that out into a conventional loan um, and get the cheaper interest rate and go back into where mortgage insurance can fall. Maybe you're a person that has to go FHA. And that's another thing of, like, we're having that conversation. Hey, don't worry about it, you know? Mm-hmm. It's a better option right now anyways. Right. Um, so that's the other thing you agents, listing agents, they might see more FHA, uh, offers anyways. And to, and that's the point that we want to try and do and make sure why we have those vetting conversations with the listing agent is we kind of explain circumstances and what we've done to make sure that the file is clean of saying, Hey, listen, I know this is an FHA offer, but hey, don't worry. Like this is why we're doing it or whatever it is. And we just kind of show our hand and you know, we sell the loan or, we make it so they don't have to be afraid of an FHA loan. Um, and, yeah, it's it, that's why the stigmas, we're talking through it and saying, hey, listen, right. situation is a situation. That's my point is if I'm a seller, I think the sellers are getting inundated with this whole, like, idea that, oh, my God, if I list my house in the spring, I'm going to get 500,000 offers mm-hmm. and I'm going to be able to make $50,000 over and so on and so forth. I don't think that's the case. Me personally, mm-hmm. I'll throw it out there. I do not think that's what's going to happen. Especially not here in Colorado. I just don't think it's going to happen. I think the price point's too high. Yeah. Wage, wage growth mm-hmm. has grown, but not as much in Colorado as in somewhere like Alabama or Missouri, right? So we've always talked about affordability as three things. It's mortgage interest rates, it's wage growth, and it's house prices, home prices, right? Mm-hmm. Well, home prices are going up. Interest rates have come down, not a ton. And in Colorado, wage growth has grown, but not, barely enough to outpace inflation. Yeah. So my point is, if I'm a seller... And I say, okay, I want to get the most out of my home, sell it for the most amount of money. What can I do? The number one thing is you can get as many eyeballs as humanly possible on your house. Number two, you want to make sure that the loan or the offer or whatever it is that gets brought to your property goes through because that's how you get paid and you can pull out that equity and go move on to your next stage of life. The reason I bring up FHA is because I think people are discounting a couple of different things. Americans don't have a lot of money in their bank accounts, so they're going to pinch and save money wherever they can. Colin just pointed out the fact that an FHA loan versus conventional is going to be cheaper monthly for a borrower on a new house. Well, if I'm a seller and I understand that, I would assume that I'm going to get a lot of FHA offers. If that's the case, then I want to make sure my house makes it from under contract to close. So what can you do as a seller? Here's something super simple. Mm -hmm. Talk to your agent and say, hey, I'd like to do a pre-inspection, pre-home inspection. You get an inspector out. They do a pre-home inspection. They look at the big things. They look at habitability, peeled paint, uh, water damage, foundation issues, health, major health and safety that could potentially affect an FHA appraisal that may or may not pass, right? Well, and, and, and then you can sit there and go, okay, well, <clears throat> if I repair these things, and let's say I spend $2,500 repairing some of the things that pop up on that pre-inspection, it does two things. Number one, because it has been remediated, technically, you don't need to disclose that it was an issue in the seller's property disclosure, which that's hurdle number one. Two, if you are in a contract and you go through an inspection, way smoother, because the bigger issues have been taken care of. 
Three, if it is an FHA, then when that appraiser comes out, they don't see any issues, which means you have a higher likelihood of being able to take that transaction from start to finish and then sell your house and move on. And it only costs you as a seller 300 bucks. Yep. Well, and, and I think an important thing to note too is that, <clears throat> you know, I, I, I know a lot of people that are listening, you know, you just heard. Colin's got an opinion. I can hear well, it. I do. You, you heard James. I don't want to like, disagree. No, disagree. No, no, that's, disagree. But, but, that's why you're here. But here's the thing too, right? Is, is <laughs> in my mind, what I hear is, oh, I'm listing my house to make money. And you just told me to spend more money on a pre-inspection. But, but that's where, again, talking with your agents, being open, bringing up the idea and seeing, hey, will my agent help me cover this to help <clears throat> sell? Because at the end of the day, we want to sell your or property. Or not even help sell. Like, like, is, it, is, the, is the return on investment worth it, right? That's is, what I mean. Though. Is $500 plus yep. $2,500 repair going to net you an extra six grand because mm -hmm. you have more offers, your house is more presentable or whatever it is. But by all means, disagree with me. I want to hear it. <laughs> I want to hear it. Uh, well, okay. So the only tough part is I would tell you, as much an appraisal is by the books, which it is, and most of them are. And that's why when they give you a judgment of whatever it is, you typically, it's moving hell and earth to try and mm -hmm. move them off of that. Unless you have a ton of facts, which we talk about all the time. Can't, best thing in an argument is facts. Uh, I will tell you that I've seen, in my opinion, so don't take this as factual, is they take an offer price into the fact of the appraisal. Um, so you say, hey, I wrote a contract at whatever number it is. Well, then that is being valued high or low, whatever you decide to go forward with, as part of that, where is this number going to come in? It's going to look at comps that are around the surrounding area, what's most likely, and then also what did that contract come in? So the part that I would worry about is, Let's say you do get an appraisal and this appraisal looks at the comps and the comps around you are low and then bang, you have an appraisal coming low. Now that appraisal is sticking with you for however long mm -hmm. until it falls off. So the only, and it's not, I mean, this is, could it happen? Yes. Could it not? Could it completely, could it come in high? Sure. Um, the worry for me would be you get an appraisal that comes in $20,000 low, sure. and now you're but, stuck but, with that appraisal. But to my point earlier, based on that, like the whole way to mitigate that and the whole way to stop that is, is go with a good agent, right? 100%. Because at the end of the day, if you're with a good agent and they go and they look around at your property and you sit down and say, I want to get this amount for my property, that agent is going to do a CMA and look at the other properties around you and then go, oh, you know what? It may not be worth it because if we get an appraisal based on the properties around plus what you want to spend on it, you may come out twenty thousand yeah, dollars lower. Yeah, I guess right? my point though, when I say appraisal, I'm I'm talking specifically FHA, yeah. right? And I'm talking when I'm I'm not my my conversation isn't the price that they appraise the property at, it's eliminating the hurdles so that you can attract more buyers, right? Yeah. So for example, yeah. I listed a house, and the deck, it was standing. I could jump on it. There was a hot tub on uh -huh. it, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. but I you remember. go underneath. I remember. And it didn't, I mean, the, 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 the wood was just dug into the ground. Yeah. Okay. So I looked at it and I'm, I'm not an FHA appraiser and I go, mm, that doesn't look good. So then we got an inspector out, right? And yeah. the inspector goes, yeah, that's probably not going to pass FHA. Yeah. Right. Something stupid. So I asked him, well, just give me recommendations. What, what do you recommend? Then I took those recommendations. I went to the lender and I said, Hey, if we do this, 
in your experience, do you think an FHA appraisal is going to be like, yep, we're good. And all it was was cement casings yep. underneath and then fixing a couple of rotting uh, joists, mm-hmm. which ultimately cost the seller like, call it 1500 bucks, right? Yep. But we ended up getting an FHA offer and it was the only offer we got on this property. Okay. Mm-hmm. Sold it for $850,000. Had that not been done in the, in the, the beginning. That was an inspection? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Pre- not an appraisal. I, what I'm saying is the inspector, the inspector was like, hey, yeah. FHA-wise. 100%. That's, yeah. that's my point, 100%. right? 100%. So my point is something like a pre-inspection, if I'm a seller, yeah. get the inspector to go out and then take that information. And if I'm a seller, you still probably have worked with a lender in the past, right? Go to that lender, mm-hmm. like Colin, say, hey, Colin, so you've done FHA appraisals. Based on the things that you've seen, that FHA appraisers have said, hey, I need you to fix this before we loan on this property. What are these things that you think are worth it that we should fix? Now you can make the determination, say, okay, I'm going to spend $2,500 on cement casings for this deck, but it's going to allow me to now entertain multiple offers on FHAs. And in my scenario, this is back in August, September, right before rates started to go up, it turned out to be the only offer we got. So for the seller, it was a difference of $0 and $850,000 on selling that property. But, but to my point again, it, if you wouldn't have had the foresight as an agent, no, I get that. To yeah. see it, I get you know, that. Like, because at the end of the day, you know, if you have an agent, right? I just had a buddy down in Arizona who looked on Zillow, found something, mm-hmm. right? Went and did a showing with an agent, and the agent was horrible. He mm-hmm. called me after, and he was like, he was pushing his own properties. He was bragging about his own real estate. Like that agent mm-hmm. was more worried about down talking the property, yes, than he was actually presenting it as a viable option. Yeah, yeah. Agreed. so it, it it really comes down to like as much research as you can do, as much as, much as you can prepare. It comes down to again having a good agent in your back pocket that knows lenders, that knows appraisers, that knows le- that knows inspectors, that know the steps and mm-hmm. the processes of an FHA loan, a conventional mm-hmm. loan, to actually get you to the end goal, right? Correct. And a lot of the time, I feel like so many people just see the number. Mm-hmm. They they just go, "This is what I want," and the the conversation starts and stops there. Yeah. Versus it being, "How do we make this happen?" Not, "I want it to be this." How do we achieve it? Right. This is what I want. Yeah. And I think, and, and Colin, you can back me up on this. Like, you know, we've been talking about, it's not, we, we don't, I don't think it's going to be like it was two years ago where you're getting 50,000 no. over offers. Like these are the things, would you agree that sellers can do with the upcoming market that can prepare them to get top dollar for their property yeah. and, and do it without any headaches? hundred percent. Yeah, no, totally agree. Yeah. And I think. It, to Charlie's point, working with a great agent, and to Jameson's point, just being prepared for anything that's going to come. Because the worst thing, and we're situation, yep. <laughs> we're dealing with this right, right now. Mm-hmm. The worst thing is you just walk into something that was unforeseen because maybe there wasn't stuff that could have even showed you what it was going to happen. Um, but if you can eliminate these, eliminate those as much as humanly possible, uh, then it's, I mean... Selling your home, it's selling somewhere you just lived. It's like, it's personal. Highly you know? personal, highly emotional. Yes. Yeah. And you want to make sure that you pass on something great to somebody else, in my personal opinion. But also, you want to make sure that you deal with as little as humanly possible as you go through yeah. that process. So just make sure you have great people around you. So I, I, I want to talk about what you just foreshadowed, right? Because this is the third yeah. part of this. So we've, we've, so far, we've covered the down payment assistance and how sellers should expect that. 
right? Because as we're seeing people's money get tightened, mm -hmm. they want to make sure that their dollars are going as, as far as possible and how it's not really a difference. So really it's not, as a seller, it's not a concern if you see a down payment assistance offer versus conventional offer, treat it the same, right? And your agent should be telling you that same thing. Mm -hmm. And they'll call the lenders and make sure that there's no red flags. Secondly, we talked about FHA versus conventional, why most likely you'll see more FHA loans because they are cheaper, again, because people are wanting to spend their money wisely. And, and it's with, less upfront, you know, right. like it, that, that's, that's a big thing, right? And with, with FHA, there are certain hurdles that could come up in the appraisal portion of it, but there's a very easy way to combat that, and it's getting a pre-inspection and then talking to your lender and your agent to make sure that, hey, I'm going to fix the things that are going to make this go smoothly because at the end of the day, none of us think it's going to be a crush of buyers. Mm -hmm. It'll be busier, mm -hmm. but I think there's a disconnect from what people think on, based on headlines and what the realistic portion is. Uh, and then the third part is the insurance that we're going to talk about. Um, but here's what I'll tell you just to back up the whole, like, have the right team. So, Colin, if a seller calls you, right, and they're wanting to sell their house, but they call you for advice on things to fix to pass an FHA appraisal, do you make any money off of that? No. Right. Most lenders won't answer that phone call, mm -hmm. right? Or they'll say, ah, just talk to your agent. Or, hey, you know what? If you're not going to turn around and help me buy, the people you work with matter. And I know mm -hmm. for a fact that if I have a client that's selling a house that's calling Colin, I know he's going to answer the phone and give him that answer, mm -hmm. right? And to me, that is worth its weight in gold when it comes to navigating the real estate market, especially over the next two or three years while we figure out where the normality is. Um, but it, those type of things matter. And when you work with somebody like Colin or like Charlie or like myself, we try and put you into contact with people that are or Oscar, their personal shout out Oscar. Brand, right, and Oscar. But <laughs> shout out, their personal brand is like, I'm going to put you with somebody that is there strictly to help you, whether or not they benefit, right? Mm -hmm. So I just want to point that out because people think, well, if I want to call my lender, but I'm selling my house, they're not going to make any money, so why would they help me? doesn't matter. Like, we're in the business yeah, of, no, of helping. Yeah, no, 100%. And trust me, there are those people out there. Yes. There are <gasps> salesmen mm -hmm. that are looking for sales. And if you aren't worth your weight in gold or you're not worth, yeah, 100%. And there's, and that's people, you know. I mean, I don't have to explain this to anybody that people sometimes are in it for themselves. Um, but, yeah, it's worth working with the right team. And I think all of us here uh, can genuinely say, like, mm -hmm. I mean, I wear my heart in my sleeve. If oh, yeah. something happens and this goes down for some unforeseen, even if it was 100% out of my control – I feel it because yeah. I feel, hey, we're packing boxes right now and something just happened. Like I get, that I is, get vindictive. Like I'm going to yeah. be like, at that point, I get to the point where I'm like, oh, no, now I have to make this work. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, if, it, if it's somebody's going to pay, yeah, somebody's <laughs> going to get this. Like we have to make this happen. Right. And, and, you know, it's for me, especially on that note, I think what the beautiful thing about what's gonna, what happened over the last year and what we're going to continue to see is these kinds of people are going to get weeded out. Mm -hmm. These agents, these lenders. A lot of them have. Right? They've already been. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We've already lost 10,000 in Colorado alone. But I think it's going to even push it further because the more people see the genuine care for the transaction, for the outcome, the more those agents are going to shine. Mm -hmm. The more effort that's put in is, is going to be the, the, the leading standard. And yeah. I think we're, we're past the time now of you can just pay mm -hmm. $5,000 to Zillow and Redfin and yeah. start closing because if you're not constantly in contact, if you don't pick up the phone, especially when people are tight on money and you're giving them that reassurance, yeah. uh, you're going to fall off. Some people are transactional. Some mm -hmm. people, that's what they want. They want to just 
move forward and that's totally cool uh it's just we are going to make sure that we do everything mm-hmm. and i mean everything in our power to make sure it's as smooth for everyone um and like i said selfishly and that's including myself but mainly including you guys because uh yeah it's just it's we're we're tied with you we're in it with you until the end so we want to make sure that everything gets taken care of as much as possible well we've we've said this before like from a real estate lending standpoint our business is based off of referrals yeah. mm-hmm. and we only get referred if we do a good job. Right. Mm-hmm. And that, that sentiment is based on whether or not the client had a great experience, mm-hmm. understands the process, can see the nuances of buying or selling or so on and so forth. And there's one statistic I think that points this out better than anything else. Okay. This is going to blow you guys away. Would you just pull up on your handy dandy? Yeah, this is going to blow you guys away. So <laughs> between 2020 and 2022, don't look, you can't cheat. <laughs> what percentage of home buyers do you think regretted their purchase between 2020 and 2022? 35%. Okay. I'd go lower than that. I'd go 10%. Regretted buying it. Yeah. In 2020, in 2022, between those two years. Uh, what are we talking time frame? Like initial gut reaction? Or I'm, like I'm talking like now. the people that got into the market yeah. and bought a house in the craziness that was right post-pandemic. You know what? I'm going to say like 2%. That regretted purchasing. Oh, yeah. Why? Why? Yeah. Because market values have gone up so much. No, no. Before. I'm saying not, not before the pandemic. I'm saying during the pandemic when they're waiving inspections they're paying fifty thousand over asking, appraisal gaps, all that stuff. Yeah, I'm sticking with my thirty five percent. Yeah, okay. I'm, okay. You're you trying one, to someone's guys, trying to talk me out of my answer. I'm gonna so I'm gonna go back to ten. I'm gonna give you guys <laughs> one more chance to to uh, to adjust your answer. See my answer. Really is zero, like really think about it. I'm gonna go ten. Think about it. Yeah, no. Okay. But even if you overpaid on a house, now granted, some people were like, Man, I really you know, but those people also have a three percent mortgage. Okay, so let me let me let me let me let me do this then. Uh, another stat is on average, home buyers during that time period paid twenty three percent above the national average or national home. Yeah, price. okay. So if I'm you tell me up. that fact, forty eight percent. Okay. Yeah, if you tell me that fact, it was uh, it would go higher. Okay. Uh, do I have a lifeline? Can I? <laughs> nope. You can't. You can't phone can a I phone a friend? Okay, uh, I'd like to take my 50-50 then. <laughs> Give me four choices and then take away two. Okay. So now let me give you this stat. Recent survey said that right now 51% of Americans think it's a bad time to sell a home. And 53% of Americans think it's a bad time to buy a house. So now what do you think that percentage is of people that regretted buying in between 2020 and 2022? 65%. Okay. <laughs> Honestly, I just I <clears throat> I say it like that because when I was coming into the market, that's when this was happening, like when I was coming into the job, mm-hmm. and I was just seeing so many people competing and paying over, and I was just thinking like, man, even I know in market growth this is good, but and I know you have a good interest rate, but at the same time, man, that's when you really look at the numbers and you see what you paid over, I feel like it's going to hit. Mhm. Yeah. <laughs> My tough part is I guess I might look at this from a different lens. I look at it from building generational wealth. You know, I look at the properties we bought 
maybe we hold on to them and continue to go through. And I don't think that's totally possible for everybody. So that's maybe factors into the percentage and the numbers. Um, but even overpaying, I mean, you know what that house is worth 10 years from now? Uh, a lot more I than what you like overpaid right now, for. I feel like, what's in the box? What, what, what's in the box? What's in the box? <laughs> what's in the box? <laughs> I know that my microphone's turned up. So I can't yell because you do I have the most monotone voice. It's nice and somber. You know what's yeah. in the box? What's in the box? You guys ready for this? I, I yeah, I you're know. killing me. This is the most, this, this is like TV show build up that we've been doing. Like, I think, you know, all jokes aside, we deserve an Emmy after this, uh, after this one comes out. So the percentage of homeowners that regret Purchasing a house in 2022 slash 2023, 2020 to 2023 is next time. I think the goalpost move, I'd like to throw my challenge flag. 93%. Yeah. Doggy. This is why I think the goalpost move. I think I had a different standard than I thought. 93%. Regret. And there's six reasons why. And this is. But when? Hold on. Between 2021. Or 2020 and 2023. That's wild. So including this last year, where uh, interest rates were high. Wow. Right? I just think there's such... To your point, Colin, I think that, that just shows like... It, well, here's, it, here's oh, the man. six reasons why. Okay? Yeah, yeah. So, and this is... I think this goes to the what we're talking about. Why you need to be prepared. Why you need to really understand what's happening in the market. And why our job is to make it make sense for everybody involved. Reason yeah. number one. My home requires too much maintenance. Uh, okay? okay. I'm going to have an objection to the end of this. Okay. So fair warning. Number two. I bought too quickly. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Number I, three. I agree with that. Number three, I spent too much. I could see that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Number four, I bought a fixer upper. Thank you, HGTV. Everybody thinks they're fucking what's his face <laughs> and his ex wife. Joanne and <laughs> husband. No, they're cool. That's Magnolia. I'm thinking Tariq Musa. Oh, and yeah. yeah. Uh, number, cool. what is that? That was number five. five. And number six, I was pressured to make an offer. <coughs> yeah okay i get all that and right the numbers so i agree with you sense. colin that the overarching picture yes right and we've talked about mm-hmm. it forever that every decade home values double so if you look long term but again there's not a lot of people that look long term right and there's people that are not in this industry day in and day out there's also people that say oh, i'm gonna buy a fixer upper i'm gonna flip this house and i'm gonna do this and they get in there and they're like oh there's permit issues and there's zoning issues and there's Plumbing's expensive and labor's expensive and materials are expensive. And then you've got the people that went in and they had to pay $50,000 over asking. They waived inspection. And now all of a sudden where it says, uh, my home requires too much maintenance. How many yeah. of those people do you think bought a home, waived inspection, yep. including things like, we talked about it, sewer inspections. Mm-hmm. I just spent $30,000 because I flushed my toilet for the first time I walked into the house and it flooded my basement. Yeah, Shit. totally agree with all that. And, you know, and this is why when I say you have a completely different view from a bird's eye lens yes. and a national perspective. And from, from people what that are in the industry every day. Yeah, because I've seen so many wins, you mm-hmm. know, through those mm-hmm. people. I have, a, I have somebody that I know that bought, have, have bought twice within that time period. The first time they bought, Hell, I'm a they win. gained. Yeah, <laughs> they gained a ton of equity. They ended up selling their house, buying a new house through that equity. They yes. paid off all their student debt. They paid off their cars, and then they still bought a can new I, house. Can I ask you a question? Just that specific example. Huh? Who were they working with? Were they good? Were they bad? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I had to think about it for a second. I was like, 
who were they working with? Uh, yeah, I've done no. so many. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, but seriously, like they were working with a good team, a good realtor, yeah. a good lender. And, that's and they why... were able to take advantage of the situation right. and say, hey, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to sell my house, but I'm going to take this debt. I'm going to pay off my high interest right. balances. I'm going to get into a house with a low down payment. I'm going to have a plan to either refi or if I get in early, I'll spend more money in the front because I think interest rates are going to go up. That's my point. Yeah, right? that's why it's tough to live in that box, right? Because you live in the box that you deal with. I deal with a box where I try to prepare people as much as humanly possible. Okay, so then let me give you a second statistic. All right, and let me see if this changes your mind. So the Don't first one was 93% of people regretted their purchase over the last three years, okay? Uh -huh. Now what if I told you over the last two years? <laughs> I think it was, let me, let me pull the stat up. But it was... I just had it up. Hold on. I'm so excited that you got an iPad. I feel like it's much more accessible. <laughs> 86% of realtors sold two or less houses over the last year. Mm -hmm. So experience-wise, what, what did they bring to the table? Nothing, right? So if 93% of people regretted their purchase, I would assume that a large majority of those individuals used agents that either didn't have experience, didn't have knowledge, didn't have market wherewithal. Or we're just in it for the money. Or we're just in it for the money, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Because yeah. I would make the, the, the exception, right? And Charlie, we talk about this with you all the time. Like you're relatively new from a transaction standpoint, mm -hmm. but we've done this podcast now for exactly a year, mm -hmm. 52 weeks, yep. right? 53 weeks. Mm -hmm. So your knowledge, I would put that up against any other agent in the market. Um, did you come in at a hard time? Yeah, 100%. But would I tell you that you're more knowledgeable than the next 80 agents I would interview? Yeah. Probably, oh, right? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Thanks, so guys. It matters. <laughs> My point is it matters who you work I with. Can, uh, with everything that we have talked about, that is something that I yeah. think a lot of people don't understand. And from a seller standpoint, this is why I wanted to do this episode today is to explain like, yeah, it's going to be a different market this year. Is it going to be like three years ago where you guys are going to get 78 offers, 250 showings, 16 above asking, et cetera. No, you probably I don't, don't think even so. want that. No, on those numbers. but I don't think, I don't think that's going to be the case. So what are the little things that we can do to help? And you can ask questions of mm -hmm. to allow you to have this, this transaction. And, meeting and again, Jameson, just what you said right there, guys, like I feel like so many, so many consumers, so many people that get into the housing buying. And this is from my own experience, like Colin and I are working with somebody right now. And every single time they call me, they apologize. And they're like, I'm so sorry to bother you. And it's like, no, no, for, please, like, send me messages, call me, because at the end of the day, that's how you're armed. That's that. I want you to not be part of that 93%. I want you to walk into that house and go, yeah, this is mine. I did this. And then guess what? The more information I teach you, again, the more you're going to refer people to me because you're like, Charlie knows his shit. Charlie knows what he's talking about. Go work with him. And so if you have an agent that's like, oh, I don't have time to talk to you or uh, uh, talk to my talk to my assistant. I, I, I'll, I, I can get with you later. Like play that into your decision on who you're using for lenders and, and agents and whoever it is, because at the end of the day, you matter the most in this, this transaction. You are not just money. You are not just a number. You're not just a loan that is being written. You this is the largest purchase that you're probably ever going to make in your life. Ask questions, mm -hmm. get mm -hmm. to know and, and be a part of the industry. Because it's the only way that you're going to arm yourself to be prepared. Mm -hmm. All right. I got to do this just because I know we're running long, but I did I did tease it. Let's just talk real quick. If I am a condominium seller, oh God, what is something that it. I have to look forward to 
this year that is very, very different from last year. If I am, if I own a condo and I want to sell it to somebody, put it on the market, what are we seeing? Well, and, and I think it's not uh, that we have personal experience in this <laughs> at all over the last like two weeks. I think it is important to state, especially because this does go out to the masses, to the country, right? Where it's everywhere. It, it, it is everywhere. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. Um, obviously, the guys, reason it's everywhere though is because Allstate is a national company, right? Yeah. So if their premiums go up in Colorado, it's going to affect people yes. in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Well, and, and Jameson just dropped the right premium. When you hear premium, you hear Allstate, you know it's insurance. And what we're seeing now is with the rate of natural disasters rising. Car thefts, and we've all heard about the catalytic converter stuff going on across the country, right? All of these factors play into insurance rates and insurance premiums. And what's tending to happen right now is you have HOAs that are adding more percentages to their deductibles. So a lot of HOAs are going, hey, we're going to have to spend more um, on hail damage. We're going to have to spend more on this because the insurance companies are paying us more or charging us more. That's falling back down to the consumer. And what a lot of people don't realize is Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, the two largest suppliers of these FHA loans, these loans that most people are going to be using, right, and, and conventional, yep. they have it in their policy that the master policy cannot, they cannot exceed 5%. And there are little idiosyncrasies in there, like mm-hmm. little, it, it has to be, you know, oh, individual coverages and stuff like that. But right. ultimately, yeah. you have to be aware of stuff like this. And please check out, you know, check out my... My TikTok, I did a video on it. Um, but at the end of the day, it all comes down to, and I know I'm hated for this across the board, but being involved in your community and voting matters. And it goes down as low as an HOA level. If you are just living your life wistfully and you get an email that says, we're having an HOA meeting, and you just ah, click, cool, that uh, HOA, you're having an HOA. They are going to vote on this, whether you're there or not. But you can be there to have that conversation and go, wait a second, I don't want you to raise this because what's going to end up happening, and the reason Jameson brings this up, is because if you are a condo owner and your HOA is this 10% deductible, you are now an unwarrantable condo. And that 10% makes or 5%? It, 5% it, is the number, anything above. Anything above. But I'm saying if your HOA master yes. policy is 10%, you are now unwarrantable. The major providers of loans do not consider you able to sell that property because they don't want to cover it. It's too risky for them to cover it. So... Just be aware, be involved, because yeah, it may hurt a buyer like what Colin and I are experiencing. But at the end of the day, I we talked about this. I may, not, I, yeah, we can go to the HOA and argue it, but I don't want to. I don't want to put my buyers in that position. Yeah, for sure. So well, if you guys, if you guys just... can't tell, Charlie's very passionate about this. <laughs> um, so here's, I just want to slow it down a little bit because that was a lot of information in a condensed period. Yes. Here's what's happening, <laughs> right? Insurance premiums for households are going up nationwide. Mm-hmm. We have seen it. Uh, in Colorado alone, I want to say the average is 25 to 30% for your premium every six months, which is a lot, which means you're talking, if you're at, I don't know, 3,500 bucks every year, you're going up 30% of that. So 10% is 300, 30% would be $900. So $900 a year. Condominiums operate the same way. The difference is the condominiums have insurance for the entire complex, right? And here's where people are like, well, why would it go up for condominiums versus houses, so on and so forth? How much is a roof replacement on a house, a 2,500-square-foot house in Castle Rock, Colorado? If you want to replace the roof, $30,000, yeah. right? It's expensive. 20, 30. So now a condominium has X amount of buildings. If they hit by a hailstorm, whatever it is, it's, it's incrementally higher. What we're seeing is we are seeing insurance companies come through and say, hey, 
based on hail damage, based on all these different things, the amount needed to cover the same condominium complex is going to raise. The HOAs are now forced to make a decision. Do I do one of two things? Do I either increase the HOA to offset the cost of the premium, which would now make the monthly payments for the current residents higher, and it will make the monthly mortgage payment, or PITI, for, for prospective buyers higher, therefore less people qualify, or do I raise the deductible so I don't have to pass off those uh, expenses to the current homeowners? In which case, if I choose one, so let's say I choose, I'm gonna raise the HOA. What does that do for the condominium and the sellers in that condo? It makes it harder for people to qualify to purchase it, right? Especially mm -hmm. if those condos are priced at 300,000. Yeah, it makes it harder for them to qualify and it taxes the residents that currently live. Exactly. Now let's go to the flip side of the coin. Let's say I do raise my deductible to keep it cheaper. Cool. Current homeowners are not affected. They're like, right. yay, they our HOA didn't relief. go up. Our monthly payment stays the same. Colin, what does that do to home, home buyers? Home buyers, then it makes it unwarrantable. It makes it to where a conventional, standard, even government-backed loan mm -hmm. won't loan on it. So the only way you'd be able to get in is through an investor, cash, or yes. some of these non-qualified <laughs> options. <clears throat> and for the first-time home buyer, that puts stress on them and it hurts them. Right. So if I'm a seller and I own a condo, here's why it's important. Because it's not like these changes are telegraphed a year and a half out, right? Mm -hmm. You guys, your current scenario, and I looked this up as well, the condo was warrantable. So right now, what is today? January 20... 30th? 31st. 31st. January 31st. The <clears throat> condo in question was warrantable as of the last sale. November 23rd of 2023. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we're talking a month and seven days ago. Fast forward a month and seven days, that same exact condo complex is now non-warrantable because the insurance premiums changed and the HOA decided to keep the HOA uh, fees the same by raising the deductible. And that deductible now exceeds that 5% threshold. Now it's non-warrantable. So if you were to think about it, right? Average contract is 30 days. Let's say you went under contract December 29th, 2023 on this condo. It was warrantable. Fast forward eight days before close, now it's not warrantable. Mm -hmm. So if I'm a seller of a condo, that is something that you want to make sure you understand so that you can effectively market it to certain people. And right now, this particular complex, if you're an FHA, a VA, or a conventional loan, you can't buy in this complex, which yep. means... If I'm a seller in this complex, I now have basically cut my buyer pool by almost 80%. Mm -hmm. If not more. Well, I get 25%, so-called 75%. I've even, cut it by 75%. Yeah. The only reason I say that, we looked at the stat last mm -hmm. week, 75% or 25% of homes that are bought are bought by investors. So you've, you've gotten rid of 75% of your buyer pool. Do you think you're going to get what you think you're going to get for your condo no, last yeah. year that you will this year? No. Yeah. So well, and and there was another agent that sold in there, and that's exactly what happened. And she had to get what's called an I buyer, and her sellers ended up losing over twenty thousand dollars on the price of that home yep. because of this one thing. Well, not only that, but there's I buyers that have what are called buy boxes. Yeah. That if there is certain thresholds that they also don't buy in, it doesn't help you. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't, mm -hmm. right? So the reason I bring it up is is condo specific. There's a lot of people that bought condos in 2020, 2019, 2021 because the interest rates were so cheap. Well, now insurance has come around and made it that much more difficult to sell that condo and make a profit. 
because if the pre if the uh, deductible is over five percent of the master policy, you have now gotten rid of seventy five percent of your buyer pool. So it's yep. something to look at, and if you do look at it, you can be proactive, and you can appeal for the HOA to make those decisions and change them. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they will, sometimes they won't. In you guys' case, the answer was no. Negative. Fuck off. Yep. The answer was mm-hmm. fuck off. Right. Yep. So now anybody in that complex can only sell to investors. Yep. And guess what? It's going to make Colorado an investor state. Just but saying. that's a whole nother conversation and it'll go a whole nother hour on it. So, right. sorry. so I just no, want to yes. point that out. Yes. It's something we're, we're on the seller vein. That mm-hmm. is something that is, yes. isn't important to, to point out. So, so I think it's a good time to move into the one rock takeaway. And if you Charlie's want, angry, if you guys haven't, it, it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I about printed flyers to go post it on everybody's door in that complex because you not only just affected my buyers, you and most of the people in that condo just, complex just are older are older folks that are now locked in that may yes. not be able to sell. Like exactly. it, it just creates so much of a problem. But anyway, if we're gonna move into our one rock takeaway, and if you're a new listener to the episode, our one rock takeaway is we just give a snippet a a one takeaway from the topic today yep. uh and and kind of we like to try and keep it short but you know an hour 20 minutes into this podcast <laughs> you know how we are on that whatever information dense that's why we clip yep. it but yep. hopefully you but guys get something absolutely out of it. absolutely yep. all right so um colin you're the newbie do you want some time to, to do your one rock takeaway or do you want to you want to go for it yeah i'm gonna let you guys go first okay. <laughs> all right so i'm gonna let jmo go first so i can breathe it out a little bit all right uh one rock takeaway i this is here's mine i'm gonna keep it It's not short, but it's simple. If you are looking to sell your house, do not pay attention to the headlines and expect a flood of interest in your home without having to do some legwork, right? If you're priced correctly, if it's turnkey ready, if you've gotten rid of the hurdles that would prevent a larger pool of buyers from buying your property, then yes, I think you can be in and off the market in a week with multiple offers. But this is not, no matter what the home price, or sorry, no matter what the headlines say, this is not the same as listing your home in 2021. It's not. And it, it is not for hopefully all the reasons that we've articulated this episode. There's pent up demand for sure. There's FOMO for sure. Those people will come to the market in mass, spread out over the United States, but it's not gonna be the same. So if you act like it's gonna be the same, you're going to be disappointed thinking I can just stick a sign in my yard and be good. And everybody's, you know, it's what, what is it? Field of dreams. If you build it, they will come. That's not the case. If you build it well and you have amenities and proper lighting and furniture and like, I don't know, a concession stand, they'll show up. But if you just think I can sell, I can put my house on the market and charge whatever I want. Maybe at certain price points in certain areas like Colorado, if I list something under 300,000, it's probably going to go pretty quick. Right. But if I'm looking at single family home, five, 600,000, if it is not relatively turnkey and priced correctly, there is a chance it'll sit because rates aren't going to drop. So just be aware, work with somebody you trust, go over the different options, talk about things like staging, repairs, upgrades, et cetera, that are going to bring you the most money back for your investment and make your decision that way. I'll go ahead and piggyback. Um, I want to, I want to just say ditto. Like I want that to just be ditto, but I want to piggyback on it and emphasize something that you said Although you have a commodity, although inventory is low, do not think that you can just list your house for the price that you want it to be and you will get that. If you do that, prepare for the ability for your house to sit and just know that it's not, it's not 
going to be smart of you to try and wring out every dollar from the property. Do it the correct way. Go get with an agent that's going to do a good market analysis for you. Get with lender a lender and talk to them about what they're seeing in that market. What have Do they know of anybody who's closed in that area and how that looked? How did it work out? Um, get a pre-inspection done. Just do everything in your power to arm yourself to sell instead of just going, I have something that people want, therefore I am selling it. Can I triple stamp or double stamp real quick? Okay. So the, the one statistic I think that highlights that is the fact that, and we brought it at the very beginning of the episode, so I want to highlight it again. Rates are lower now than they were in December, correct? Mm-hmm. By a significant amount, mm-hmm. right? We were high, mid eights yeah. in October, November. We're in the mid to high sixes, maybe sevens, depending on the program now. So we're talking, again, a percent, percent and a half. Math says that should unlock about five and a half to six million buyers. Mm-hmm. So tell me why, then this week- tell me we dropped 12% in mortgage applications. Mm-hmm. That to me is a microcosm of, yeah, it's going to be different, but it's not going to be a crush of buyers. We should see an incremental increase every week of people coming to the market and applying for mortgages. And we're not seeing that. It's very up and down because we don't have a ton of inventory. There's a ton of lock-in effect. Just saying. I'm looking at Colin very intently right now. Hi. I'm interested to see what you say. How you doing? What's your one rock takeaway, bud? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, I think it's something that we just harp on every single time. It's work with the right people. Um, ask as many questions as humanly possible, no matter what side of the coin you're on. Mm-hmm. Um, different people will have different packages depending on what you want. Uh, like, they will go leaps and bounds to cater to you. Yes. So don't ever, if you ever feel like you're in a situation where it's like, hey, this is it. I mean, ask more questions and or go with somebody else. Um, because it's not that easy. Like in anybody who tells you, oh yeah, you just throw a sign in the yard and bang, it's done. Uh, it's not. I mean, we, we work with different people every day uh, that we run into situations on the buy side or we run into situations on the sell side, which would coincidentally happen to each other. Um, but yeah, you just, you want to do as much as you can to protect your personal investment that you've been living and spending most of your life in um, to make sure it goes as smooth as humanly possible and you have the right team working with you. Um, so, I mean, yeah, just just vet as much as you can. Uh, if you don't feel like you know something, ask a question. If you don't feel like you got a good answer to the question, ask somebody else or ask again. Woo! All right. Good good conversation. Good I can't wait. I'm not going <laughs> to I can't wait to go live. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. By the way, everybody. Yeah, I can't wait. Thank to go you. Live. Thank you so much for all the support and love on TikTok. We are preparing to start going live with mm-hmm. the with the podcast. So if you're sitting at work, if you're driving down the road and you want just some background noise and you want to learn some information or ask any questions to us directly, let us know. Or we're setting it up. if you, a lot of you talk shit. If you want to <laughs> talk shit in real time, we're about to give you the greatest <laughs> platform <laughs> that you could ask for. Um, but on that note, uh, as always, great conversations around real estate, but... Let's uh let, let's get into the bourbon review for Colin's going episode. first. Yep, yep. Old yep. number seven's going first. <laughs> so real quick, just so you guys understand, when we do a bourbon review, we do we rate it via rocks, right? Mm-hmm. So we rate it from one rock to ten rocks. The more rocks that you rate it, the worse the whiskey is. The less rocks, the better. The reasoning behind it is if it's a really good whiskey, you shouldn't have to water it down as much. So 
Yeah, the tough part with me is I like pain. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> no matter what it is, I'm just going to eat good, bad. I mean, I'm going to answer my bad as well as I'm going to do my good. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to go ahead with a one. Um, I really like the cast finish. I think how smooth it comes out the second it hits your lips. Yep. Uh, and it feels so good um, <laughs> that like by the time it sits in and, you know, kind of starts to take its shape and you really start to feel that flavor uh, and taste that flavor, um, I would tell you that as much of it as possible, for me, is a good thing. Yeah. All right. A one. It's pretty good. <laughs> a one is pretty good. That's pretty good. Pretty good, I think. Well, he's at what? Man, do you remember the whiskey that you had? It was, it was, what was the whiskey you had when you were on? Uh, see, when you guys said biochemist, that was really like, I felt like you guys, there was How another. How crazy would it be if it was the high Because the last time you were on was with Mr. Jessen, yeah? Yeah. Man, what yeah. did we have? I forget. I it wasn't high west, but look here's something else. Well, I'll look it up. But, I mean, it, it, honestly, though, it, I, I'm not surprised by the rating. Because, like you said, you like, you like old number seven. You like Jack Daniels. And it's one of those things where it's like, this is like leagues above Jack Daniels when it comes to complexity and, and what the effort put in to, to the making of it. I, I love Jack Daniels. Like I said, it's, that's I what I grew up on. No, that's what I grew up on. I, I love Jack Daniels. Just give me, give me a two finger Jack and two God, ice cubes. Dude. I'm in. I, hey, I'm good. You guys are fucking savages. But, but since I started doing savages. this, yeah, but at the same time, you got to go back to how you started drinking bourbon. You know what? I used to, I loved Captain Morgan. He but, loved Canadian again, I don't drive. now still love Captain but, Morgan. But again, how you started, Liar. how you and JC started drinking bourbon is you specifically went for bottles like this because you wanted to try it. Yes. Right. Agreed, agreed. I started drinking bourbon because I got laughed at when I went yes, to a, I remember that. Yes. When I went I to you, a bar you, and they were like, you, oh, you need yeah. more Coke? Like I was like, no, nah, I'm putting hair on my chest. Yeah. I, want, I want Jack Daniels, right? So like I, I get it, I get where you're coming from. Now being being 53 in um, with this guy, it is it is phenomenal. Um, I will say that it did not get sweeter it over didn't. time. No, it no. Not. If anything, the spices came out a little yes, bit more forward. I was gonna say the spice came out. Yeah, definitely hit a little bit harder on the front. Now it, it the the way it hit my tongue didn't change at all. Exactly what Colin was talking about. You get that sip, it hits your lips. Then you get, you kind of get that explosion of the the ethanol, the alcohol. Then it's that sits on the tip of your tongue. Then it gives way to more of that that oak, mm -hmm. that 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 sweetness, that caramel and toffee sits really sweet yep. on the back end. Um, and, and based on the other hundred hundred plus proofs that we've had, I I think I would I would feel feel good about putting this right at about a three point one for me. I think I think that's where I think I that's where it. I'm gonna go. I love it. You and I, are, as as this progresses, <laughs> we are getting closer and closer. Because right? yep. I looked at this and I told you the other bottle I was going to pick up was Dexter. Mm -hmm. And so far, Dexter, I think we rated a two, mm -hmm. right? Um, but Dexter changed as we went through. Yep. This one, <sighs> the complexity stayed the same. Like the flavor notes yes. and complexity stayed the same. Yes. Whereas Dexter, I felt like. You got more complex. It opened, yes. Yeah. It opened, and then you're getting yeah. more flavors. This right. one kept the same flavor profile, added a little bit more of the spice. Yeah, and see, I'm biased because I like my one, probably my number one whiskey of all time is Midsummer Night's Dream. Mm -hmm. It really is, and I wish I could take a bottle off the just to compare, <laughs> right? But I get in trouble. I um, but Midsummer Night's Dream is it resells at almost 250 bucks, mm -hmm. right? This was 70. Up. So compared right to Dexter at in, 62 and around Dexter, the difference is 
And I get why they, part of that price has to be the fact that it's exclusive to yes. Colorado, right? So if I say this is widely available, then no, I don't think it touches Dexter still. Um, but yeah, I'm probably right around a three, two, yeah. 2.83. Yeah, I put it with um, the uh, uh, Old Forester Prohibition. Mm-hmm. I put it with, I'd put this up against some smoke wagons, not the uncut and filtered, but yeah. I would put it up against the rye. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, I think it's a good balance of spice and sweetness. So like Oscar, if Oscar was here, he's a big like, hearty, you know. Hardy, hardy yeah, bourbon. Yeah, he's a, I want my traditional bourbon. I want to feel like I'm fucking swinging the double doors open to a saloon type of deal and then slamming a glass on the table. Amen. Uh, but I think this appeals to both, right? It has that, it has that sweetness, but it does have that the the burn. The burn did not go away, which I actually appreciate. Yeah. Especially at 105. Mm-hmm. Like we've had 115 proofs that the burn has dissipated. Yes. This is not. No. So yeah, I think I'm like a two eight somewhere nice. in there. I like it. Yeah. Two eight. I like it. Yeah. This great choice, Jameson. Yeah. And I think ultimately this. I is also know that it's good because we're over half. Like normally on an episode, we're half a bottle. It's <laughs> kind of the average. Yeah. We've dipped below half a bottle, yes, and yes. the the, the runtime has been about the same. Mm-hmm. So I know we liked it. Yeah, or it's Colin. <laughs> <laughs> Colin's enjoying it. Um, but no, I, I I do think that like this bourbon specifically is one of those that I would not fret to take it to anybody no, who drinks bourbon. Hundred percent. I'd grab this bottle, walk in with confidence, put yep. it down, and be like, like "Fucking taste it." Yeah, you're gonna like this. Yep. Um, now I will say, sit down, shut up, and sit. <laughs> yeah, I will say, as somebody who's new to bourbon. A little different, yeah. Little, little, little heavy, but little, I can make them an old-fashioned with this. Yes, and they'd be like, "Dude, this is yes. great. This Absolutely. is great old-fashioned." Absolutely. What do you think? I love it. Love it. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Well, guys, um, as always, remember you can reach out to us at any time uh, on Living in Colorado, the Mile High Perspective on YouTube. Yep. We're on TikTok, the Mile High Perspective, and again, thank you guys so much for all the support, the likes, comments that we've been getting. Um, but I would feel like we do you guys a disservice without letting Colin tell you where to find him and how to contact him because Jameson and I both use him and he's answered my phone calls at 9.30, 10 o'clock at night. He's reached out for me to multiple people. So Colin. Dude, I'll, t- I'll tell you this about Colin, right? Um, this is just shameless plug, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe this is my lender, but we've done multiple deals. I, I, I hesitate to say this. None of our deals have ever fallen through. Mm, no. This one has. But it was way outside, way outside of you guys' control. And I know for a fact that Colin has spent hours on the phone trying to contact to make mm-hmm. it work, right? Here's my thing. I've, I've worked with other lenders. I could literally call Colin at 11 o'clock at night, yep. and he will answer me. Yep. Uh, a client can call Colin at 11 o'clock at night. He will answer. And the one thing I like about when I put a client on the phone, say, hey, talk to multiple lenders. The, the consistent feedback I've gotten when they've talked to Colin is he just seemed genuine. Mm-hmm. Um, not a salesperson, not pushing me into something. Like he had my best interest at heart. And I've worked with other lenders that have not, I haven't, I haven't gotten that feedback from. Yep. Um, and I, I will tell you right now, as we go in, especially with higher interest rates and margins are tighter and things are a little bit more difficult, it makes a huge difference. Like I have a client that emailed us two days ago yeah. That was like, hey, don't forget, we're getting drinks on the ninth when I come back to the state. Like, can't be that. You know what I'm saying? Can't be that. All right. So, Colin, drop it. Where can they find you? How can they get in touch with you? Uh, phone number seven two zero two zero two five three nine nine. 
Um, call me, text me, whatever works for What's great your, for you. What's uh, your email? Email address is Colin, C-O-L-L-I-N dot Keenan, K-E-E-N-A-N at nafinc.com. And it's all just letters. And we'll drop it. I was going to say, we'll drop it. And if you don't have a pen and paper while you're driving or talking to listening, I'm going to put it in the video description so you can, you have that contact there. Um, So please reach out to Colin. Um, As always, you can find me on Instagram and TikTok at that lifting agent or the lifting agent. Um, And of course, I do the production and the videography for this as well. So if you want to talk about anything around video production, social media strategy, reach out to me at BTD Productions CO. Um, that's Instagram, TikTok, um, and then email, same thing, BTD Productions CO LLC at gmail.com. You guys can find me, the Colorado real estate guy, everywhere. That's just where it is, what it is right now. Um, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and all, like I said, I'll vouch for both these guys all day long. Loan officer standpoint, fantastic obviously realtor fantastic but video production second to none um and uh yeah hopefully we go live next week and it's gonna be fun it's gonna be fun. It's gonna be fun tuning guys tuning but yeah, as always if you want to reach us as a podcast as a group oscar isn't here today but you can find him at oscarTherealtor.com yep. or at oscar the realtor on social media and you can always reach us out to us, send us an email resotr at the mile high perspective.com or give us a ring or a text 303-578-0263 can't wait to uh talk with you guys share some bourbon with you live on, yeah. on the chats but uh Checking out with you guys on this week. Great conversation, guys. Cheers. 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 Thank you for tuning into this week's episode of Real Estate Served on the Rocks. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and for the weekly video version, subscribe to our YouTube channel at Living in Colorado, The Mile High Perspective.